Welcome to the Marine National Parks podcast, brought to you by the Victorian National Parks Association with the support of the Victorian Government. In 2002, a system of marine national parks and sanctuaries was established after 10 years of community campaigning. In this podcast series, we capture the history of marine national parks and sanctuaries in Victoria. My name is Beth Atkinson Quinton. And I am Madison Griffiths. In this episode, we turn towards the knowledge and values of the traditional owners of country in Victoria to learn how stories and values of the sea refer to the places that we know today as Victoria's marine national parks, marine sanctuaries and beyond from a traditional owner perspective. In this, our sixth and final episode on the marine environment of Victoria, we take a seat inside a workshop that took place in 2019, focused on partnerships between organisations and groups that are caring for country, sea country. We'll explain what is known as Nyamit Mearing, referred to in the phrase sea country, as we work towards understanding roles and definitions of rights holders, stakeholders and the many different modes of engagement for local inhabitants in this watery space. In order to do that, we will be visiting Gundich Mara country and first we'll speak with Damien Bell, CEO of Gundich Mearing Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation. Gunditch Mearing represents the native tidal interests of the Gunditch Mara people. Gunditch Mara country covers an area in the far southwestern corner of Victoria. Its boundaries are the Glenelg River to the west and the Wannon River to the north. To the east, Gunditch Mara share land and waters with the Eastern Mara Aboriginal Corporation between the Shaw and Numerala rivers, including Dean Mara, 50 kilometres west of Warrnambool. Gunditch Mara country includes such places as the Budjbim Cultural Landscape, which received UNESCO World Heritage status in 2019, containing one of the world's most extensive and oldest aquaculture systems. The Budjbim Cultural Landscape was created by the Gunditch Mara, and they narrate its creation as a deep time story, which from an archaeological perspective dates back at least 32,000 years. Using volcanic rock to manage water flows and harnessing a complex system of channels, weirs and dams to trap, store and harvest kuyang, which means eels in Datmurung language. A cultural practice which sustained the Gunditch Mara for six millennia. These eels are known to spend most of their lives in freshwater streams and then undertake a long migration journey to somewhere south of New Guinea in the Coral Sea. The recent World Heritage listing covers all the physical elements of this aquaculture system and landmarks, like Tayrak, about 50 kilometres inland from Portland and formerly known since colonisation as Lake Conda. It also includes Baj Bim, meaning high head in Dodwurrung language, a Gunditjmara ancestral being and volcano that is the source of the lava flow on which the aquaculture system is constructed. Gunditjmara oral history tells of a volatile landscape with earthquakes, volcanic explosions and lava flows into the Southern Ocean. The Gunditjmara identify four types of country, stone country, sea country, river forest country and forest country, and recognise six seasons to describe the natural cycles across Gunditjmara country. We met with Damien in Tarandara, 45 kilometres west of Port Ferry. Terendara is an Indigenous protected area with Australian National Heritage status since 2004. 
It is the venue for a co-governance workshop on Sea Country, hosted by the Federation of Victorian Traditional Owner Corporations and Victorian Government Departments. Damien will introduce us to his corporation and share with us his stories of historical connection to the ecology of sea country, his mob's cultural position on the differences and connections between traditional knowledge and Western science. Listening to him coming out of this workshop, we will learn how cultural distinctions gather around the same space of caring and protecting native species and their habitats. And we discover just how life is connected from an Indigenous view of sea country in the legal context of the new Marine and Coastal Act, which became effective in Victoria on August 1st, 2018. After Damon Bell, we will stay on Gunditjmara country, but we'll move a little bit more inland to Haywood, where the headquarters of the Gunditjmiring Aboriginal Cooperation are. We will hear from Tyson Lovett-Murray, Ben Church, Uncle Dennis Rose and Aaron Morgan. These Gunditjmara men will speak about their connections to sea country, to the damage that has occurred there, how issues of natural resource management come into play with respect to conservation, and how they imagine protecting the environment for the future and the current challenges that Indigenous caring for country has to address in this context. But first, we will hear from Damien. Damien Bell, I'm a Gunditjmara, and I'm the CEO of Gunditjmiring Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation. We do everything as a corporation. We're here to look after the interests of Gunditjmara country and Gunditjmara traditional owner rights and interests. We cover native title, we cover cultural heritage management, and we also own about 3,000 hectares of land along the Budgebeam National Heritage Landscape, which is currently up for consideration for World Heritage listing. So we look after that, we care for country, and we continue our connection to Gunditjmara country as Gunditjmara people. We want to share this conversation with you as if you were listening to Damien personally. We're keeping close to the natural flow of conversation, which refers to the country we're in for this recording. Where we are today is on Gunditjmara country in the far southwest of Victoria. We're at the Tarandara Indigenous Protected Area. The property is owned by Windamara Aboriginal Corporation. And today we hosted a couple of different forums one with the Mildren people were down here, the Murray Lower Darling Indigenous Nations, but they were down here talking about water projects. And we also hosted people from the Marine and Coastal Council and the Department of Environment, Land, Water and I think it's planning these days to talk about sea country under the new Marine and Coastal Act. You're about to hear a lot more in this podcast episode on the fascinating dreaming around sea country and Aboriginal stories that practically function as management plans for how to care for country. Based on knowledge passed on from generation to generation that allows us to put the present day coastal environment into the context of its long history. Here's Damien again. Sea country is important to us because it's part of us and it's where we're from. We always talk about Gunditjmara country being connected and across that we have river, we have forest, we have stone and we have ocean, the sea country. We have to look at things differently but we also have to put it in context to each other because everything's related. The animals, the birds, us, 
we're all part of it because country provides for us so we have to look after it. With sea country, down this way it's really interesting because the sea only came in 10,000 years ago. Before that, you know, it was a couple of kilometres out from where we are now. And with the Budgebim lava flow, that's a real important connection because that takes us from Budgebim, which is a volcano. The lava flow there is about 60 kilometres long and about 15 kilometres of that lava flow is under the sea now. We have stories about remembering when it wasn't under the sea. So it's when we talk sea country, we talk about it as much as what we talk about terrestrial country. Community-led campaigns lasting more than 10 years helped establish the system of marine national parks in Victoria, a world first. Tens of thousands of years before European rival on the continent, Indigenous Australians were, similarly, driven by the need to care for country. This podcast episode is dedicated to those mobs who have worked with the land, sea and sky in the longest continuing tradition of land management on this planet. In the Western tradition, one tends to speak more about borders and connections, or about division and reconnection when we speak about the environment and how our culture must get back to nature. Or at least, begin to think really seriously about putting plans in place now to protect our planet for all future generations. Caring for country, the Indigenous approach to land care in Australia, although complex, deeply historical and nuanced, in fascinatingly diverse ways throughout each state and across our island continent, it stems from one simple principle. Look after country, and country will look after you. It's most easily understood when you think about our need for food. Look after the land and the water, and there'll be things for us to eat. Don't look after it, and the poisons and the extraction will eventually kill us, or make life on Earth impossible. Let's think a little more about borders and connections, then move to the example of the crayfish or eels and their connection paths. Boundaries are always there. Village Mara country is bounded by the Hopkins, the Wannon and the Glenelg River and our southern boundary is the Southern Ocean. Given how relative that is to time, whether it was 10 years ago or whether it's 10,000 years ago, it's still country. And with climate change and sea inundation that's going to be happening, one way or another, it will still be uh, Gunditjmara country. The presentation today from Dan, talking about the freshwater crayfish over in the Otways. Why do they have such a genetic relationship with each other when there's no existing connection points for them across the rivers? But if you go back 5,000 years, when the ocean was back out a bit, there was connection points. All those separated rivers now were connected together by the same tributary. Amazing, yeah. And that comes about from marine mapping, underwater mapping. And I thought that really opened my eyes to what we need to be mindful of and what we need to open our minds to. Because for all the knowledge in the world, we're all only human and we only know so much. And 
that 5% of the world's ocean, that's all that's been mapped. We know 100% of the moon, we know this, we know that, but the ocean and sea country is still a mystery that can only sort of be untwined through us working together. In this series, we've helped to bring out stories about a unique moment in Australian political and environmental history, the creation of marine national parks and marine sanctuaries in Victoria. Although discussions about nature conservation predominantly take place within a scientific context, we also want to listen to the wisdom of traditional owner groups in Victoria today and what can be learned from their stories about land and sea management. We share these conversations recorded during a number of visits to the Bundichmara country and hope that they will be starting point for more voices to come and want to invite you, our dear listeners, to join us on the journey to discover how contemporary science and contemporary dreaming come together, but also to provide a space where current concerns within the community can be heard. Following on from Damien, we will hear the stories from a group of Gunditjmering staff spanning different generations that really help develop a sense of the way stories from European settler society and Aboriginal Australian dreaming can come together. But before we get to that, Damien has something to say about this in terms of different knowledge systems and also in terms of responsibility. Knowledge system, multiple knowledge system. Yes, I thought that was... We always talk about the Western science, we talk about traditional knowledge. At the end of the day, facts are facts and science is science. But I think how each group or constituency of country approaches that. We talk about Gunditjmara approaches to it and we have a, a really holistic, connected, integrated approach to what we do for country. Western science is a bit more trial and error, I think. And then we talk about the citizen science, science yes, which is sort of the mainstream community approaching it from a layman's terms. So that was an interesting discussion today and that really helped me in regards to how do we approach with the job at hand in regards to making sure the marine and coast under the new Victorian Act is going to be best looked after to provide for us, not only for Wundijmara people but for the broader community as well. And for knowledge itself, because we need to know what happens out in the ocean and how it affects country, how it has affected country. The Crown asserted a European term of sovereignty on Australia, but the full responsibility of land management was absent in that assertion. Aboriginal practices and the political and cultural campaigns for better management and protection have filled in this gap, but while the structure is still at fault, the work must be ongoing. This important emphasis on practice, Indigenous practice, certainly feels like an appropriate context in which we might think about the new Marine and Coastal Act from 2018. The Act is aimed towards enabling protection of the coastline and the ability to address the long-term challenges of climate change, population growth and ageing coastal structures, while also ensuring that partners work together to achieve the best outcomes for Victoria's marine and coastal environment. Long-term challenges and partners working together, that's how first Australians have cared for country for tens of thousands of years prior to European settlement. Uh, to us, it's Gunditjmara country, sea country is Gunditjmara country. What we've been recognised by the Crown 
in terms of us protecting our cultural heritage, uh, that protection zone goes out to state waters, which I think is three nautical miles. With native tidal, it only goes out 100 metres of the low water mark. So that's what we've been recognised by the Crown for. Yes, they'll recognise our caring for country within those boundaries, officially, but I think with the Marine and Coastal Act, there's a belief, and across the broader community, there's a better belief in regards to what Aboriginal country is and how far it extends and how deep it extends. Time is a fleeting thing, and there is only so much you can cover in one podcast episode. So we're not able to fully develop a thorough outline of settlement, colonial Australian land management policies, and their legacies. We are, however, able to tell you a little bit about the new learning in Australia, and how this interfaces with Indigenous practice of caring for country. In the last two decades, mainstream Australian culture has been exposed to better understanding of Indigenous caring for country vastly complex practices that work with the seasons and the cycles of nature, such as growing conditions, moving species and climate fluctuations. The newly gained historical consensus in Australian culture is that the first Australians were not and are not nomadic, and they own a history of successful practices that enables them to adapt to a changing environment over a very long time. We'll hear much more about this later. But let's return to Tyrandara and Damien. We asked Damien how well things are going for him and the Gunditjmara people, which of course is a long and complicated story, with very dark chapters, as well as bright moments. But to get started, we simply and respectfully asked him, how is it all going? Um, going all right. It's going to get a bit more tight. There's some coastal issues happening at the moment. Within the Act, it talks about the coast marine environment coming in five kilometres from the shoreline, which is interesting. There's a couple of challenges. Oh, no, bugger it. There's some real friggin' hard jobs that have to be done, and that's about bringing people together, creating some new understandings that can be done through sharing and caring, but sometimes it needs some real hard talk. We need to call arseholes out and all that kind of stuff if they're being that nasty. And, you know, you got that on the white side, but you got it on the black side as well. So, But as importantly, we need to make sure that the sea country itself has to be respected. That has to be sat and listened to. When they talk about that intergenerational trauma from invasion, we have to listen to that to make sure that's not impacting the, the best remedies that we could have for caring for country. And we really need to listen to country for that. And that's the physical objects with it, the fish, the ocean, the plants, the kelps, the motion of the ocean, because it's, it's coming in. We all know it's happening now. And not only through climate change, but through land use change along the coast. Seawalls, new wharves, new jetties, it all affects it. I'm fascinated by the way that such deep knowledge of the environment and the stories of it are really tools or management plans for how to care and look after country. They tell you how to be in country, as if it's a form of listening. Yeah, I'm taken by this too. 
It was something that members of the workshop continually referenced, as if the environment is not a backdrop, but is a part of the fabric of life from which we're all drawn out. We wanted to keep this outlook in place and in the foreground during this podcast. So it's with this sense of historical adaptation through listening that we raise the question of the future of the environment and the future of caring for country. Damien told us about his concerns and he underlined the confidence this mob have in their next generation of carers. Yeah, the future, it's going to be challenging, but as a human species, we've been through it before. Yeah, I just hope we don't eradicate any more animals because that's just the saddest thing on this planet. The rate of species extinction is unbelievable, tragic and sad, and that's just for the species themselves. It affects people as well. So in the future, you hope everything's going to be all right. You hope we still have a quality of life. You hope we haven't all got melanomas. We hope we have, still have a coastal connection to our well-being and our spirit. About 5,000 years ago, we had a tsunami come right into Hayward, which is 17 mile in from the coast. Our ancestors adapted to that, so we should be able to adapt to a lot of things today. As traditional owners, being part of the land, uh, being part of the Budgeman cultural landscape, the lava flow, for, we know that's been connected for 30,000 years, and we've adapted through drought before, we've um, ice ages. <laughs> so climate change is going to be challenging because there's a lot more people around, so that means a lot more people to look after. We need to pull back from the coast, but it's still important for us to be connected to the coast. And not just Gunditjmara people, but all people, because salt water, beach, all that is so important for our health and well-being. We need salt, and plus the food. Hopefully we're going to have a lot more fish farms and all that kind of stuff, but hopefully we still have enough wild catch. Thanks, Damien. How great to hear from you. We will remain on Gunditjmara country and we'll hear from a group of men that spans different generations of Gunditjmara citizens about their connection and concern for sea country, which includes more detail on this fascinating story of the eels, or Kugang, as they are known here, and which were included as a species in the Gunditjmara's bid to UNESCO for World Heritage Listing, the story, as they say, goes on and on. Protect, restore, improve. We discovered these three principles within the broader ethos of caring for country when we spoke to Tyson Lovett-Murray, Ben Church, Uncle Dennis Rose and Aaron Morgan, who all work for the Gunditch Mearing Corporation. As with our first interview with Damien, we wanted to limit the editorial interjections and allow the free flow of conversation to determine the shape of our story. So keep with us as we ask one question and receive four answers that were given in one moment around a table. Imagine yourself sitting with us in Haywood at the Gunditch Mirroring headquarters and while tuning into some environmental field recording of Gunditch Mara country. My name's Tyson Lovett Murray, I'm a Gunditjmara man, born and bred down here in Gunditjmara country in the southwest of Victoria. I'm a project officer of Gunditjmara. Trish Lane is our native title, PVC. Ben Church, Gunditjmara, Karatmara, pretty much born and bred southwest of Victoria. My current role is Aboriginal Water Officer. Dennis Rose, project manager at Gunditjmara, Gunditjmara traditional owner. 
born and bred on country and uh, lived here, not all of my life, but a fair bit of it, and hopefully a little bit still left. Herman Morgan, born in Geelong, but moved to Haywood, Wurrishmore country, when I was about 17, I think, so I spent six years up here. Been a ranger since then, currently I'm a senior ranger at Windermara, Aboriginal Corporation, yeah, just looking after country, what I like to do. Our discussion led towards multicultural and multidisciplinary land management practices after thinking of caring for country as one mechanism for reconciliation. This followed definitions of Nyamut Mearing or Sea Country in Australian English. Before we learnt about those items, we asked each of our speakers to identify connections with their places, specific sites that have meaning for them and reveal the long history of food supplies and fresh water in this area. I think people need to be aware and understand of the rich cultural history that's out in Discovery Bay and the, the coastal middens out there, evidence of Gunditjmara people living there for, for many thousands of years, some vast midden sites, both vast in area and also in depth, indicating that Gunditjmara lifestyle was pretty good down on that coastal area, the food resource was fantastic, there was a great variety and plenty of supply and also fresh water, there's quite a lot of freshwater lakes and freshwater springs within the uh, coastal dune system and that uh, also sustained our ancestors. Yeah, I suppose when I'm thinking about sea country, places that come to mind, I mean we've got Dean Ma, Lady Julia Percy Island, which is part of our mob's belief systems, our spirit goes there to rest. You know, other places would be the area around Swan Lake, which is in Discovery Bay Coastal Park. That's one of our ancestors, uh, James Egan, had come out of that, that country, and that was his country. And there's big dune systems and freshwater lakes, all different sorts of resources. And you know, throughout the park itself, there's about 400 shellbin sites recorded. And you know, there was, was a place where Mog collected an abundance of resources there with the shellfish. You know, that country is all tied into river country or river forest countries with the, the Glenelg River, so that river's about 350 k's long and all the nutrients from it spill out into the sea and get pushed up onto the beach along Discovery Bay there. The nutrients feed that fishery for the shellfish. James Grant, he was a European bloke who sailed through Bass Strait in the year 1800. He, he seen all the mob camp along there using those resources, but yeah, Swan Lake's one of my sort of favourite places. and then. There's another shell midden um, at Nagorka's Road that I went to with my mother when I was young. It was a cultural heritage officer. And it's, um, it's almost as if the mob just picked up and left. Um, yeah, it's really sort of one that I think of a lot and hope to sort of return to one day. I guess a significant spot for me personally would be within the Discovery Bay area as well. Particularly Noble's Rocks has always been a favourite spot of mine you know, since we were young and being taken down there. By elders, you know, massive shell bitten sites, and the fresh water down there is really important as well. You know, evidence of mob living down there fairly comfortably. So that's always been a, a pretty important spot for myself. And I've got to carry that down to my daughter at the moment. I'll take her out there and try and connect her to, to that spot as well. So, in terms of that continuity of cultures, is significant to me, particularly with that site. Yeah, I suppose. I don't really have a favourite spot with sea country. I don't spend too much time out in the sea. I'm scared of the water out there. But 
anywhere on the lava flow, I feel a real connection. Just being out there pretty much every day, working the last five or six years, you get pretty used to it, teaching all the stories to people, and then um, you can look back on those stories and really realise what they mean and how they sort of add up, I suppose. I spend a lot of time camping at the, the Fitzy River mouth with lots of family and it's real deadly around Christmas time you get lots of the mob out there there's a real deadly community feeling that's my special connection to sea country it's right there right on the Fitzy River the Fitzy River is very you know, important to to the mob all the rivers were because that's where the eels sort of race out of they go to spawn they spend their end of their lives on a 3,000 kilometre journey up to the Coral Sea and then the babies will do the same thing on the way back. That's pretty cool and it's all part of the big journey of life, I suppose, but that's why I like the Fitzy also. Listening to these Gunditjmara men, it becomes clear that sea country literally and organically sustains this mob. They draw from it for food, and there is a rich cultural sustenance to draw from it. In fact, it provides both of these things, and they come together. They are one thing. To help us understand this fusion of life and story, the group shared their definitions of sea country through the exciting fusion of bioregional and historical elements. Eels that live there, the colonial history that is a resource for reflection, and the waterholes enjoyed recreationally. This sea country sustains us. The eel, for example, whilst you know, we, we capture it in the river systems and in the fish traps and around Lake Conda itself, without a healthy ocean, without a healthy sea country, the eels wouldn't exist, or not in the quantities they have been and, and hopefully will continue in the future. So the health of the marine sea country is, is extremely important. When we talk about the eels, we, you know, we're doing some satellite tagging of, of eels with some scientists from the Arthur Ryler Institute, uh, trying to capture their life journey and gain a better understanding of, of where they go and there are any impacts on, on those younger ones coming back and affecting the numbers within our river systems. So the healthy ocean, the healthy sea country is, is extremely important for a lot of food resource and, and spiritual stuff as well. It's a place of contact as well for our mob. So other places that are very you know, sacred to our people is the Convince Ground Massacre site at Dutton Way, just outside of Portland on the beach there, where um, Kilcare Gunditch mob were, were slaughtered um, over a beach swale to the, with the whalers back in 1834. That's sort of like the, one of the main places for us to go and reflect on the, the history and the shared history we have now with um, the colonisers, I guess. Sea country is all that country here along the coast and how the waterways, they all run back to the sea on Gunditjmara country. I suppose for connection to the country for some of us boys and other mob too, but and then young people is the, some of the waterholes we go swim at on, on sea country. So we've got spot Flat Rock um, at Cape Nelson National Park there. And we take a lot of young people down there, um, well elders and they go down there too. But um, there's another place that, um, in South Portland, some of the, the tidal pools and I suppose that us mob that go there, like we talk about out of the water, just the sort of feeling that you get when you jump in the water and that yeah, it sort of cleanses you and fresh, refreshes you and very sort of healing. And yeah, a lot of us, what was it, been a very special place for our mob. Yeah. I, I don't separate sea country from the other 
landscapes within Gunditjma country, of course, where stone people, you know, river and forest country, that's all connected, of course. I've kind of grown up on stone country and since we were kids, being out Lake Condor and through the Stony Rises. And I guess I'm kind of in a, in a position now where I'm reconnecting with sea country. I currently live in Portland, but it is to me, it's just a place of healing. You know, Tyson spoke about conflict, obviously in the early settlement period, there was a lot of conflict between Gunditjmara and, and those settlers. So I think it's a place that needs healing, it needs cleansing. But of course, prior to, to that, it was an area so rich in resources, you know, and that's, that's evident again through the, the remnant midden sites and the shell middens all through the coastal. Learning about caring for country is a rewarding experience. It brings us closer to the land that we now know as Australia, and it helps us understand the different approaches to land and sea management that this podcast series is hoping to share. Protection comes alongside improvement and restoration as an obligation for this group of Gunditjmara. Care for country is a very big part about what I do in my role, being a ranger in land management. About nine properties we've got to look after. They've all got cultural sites associated with them, so we've got to protect them. I find every site I come across very special. I just personally like um, looking after the land for the mob when they want to go out there. It's just because it's what my ancestors would have done for many, many generations before me. So I just feel like I have a responsibility to keep up the work that my ancestors put forward to. I think for caring for country, looking after country is really important. Our ancestors left us a legacy. We Not only do we need to protect what's left, but we need to improve it. And we do that day in, day out, week in, week out, out on country. There's a lot of problems that we, we have to face with weeds and feral animals, for example. Even koalas at times might be a problem. Um, but improving country is, is really important, be it the sea country or the forest country or the river country or the stone country. As has been said before, it's, it's all part of us. We need to make sure that we respect our, our ancestors and the way they looked after country and we do the same, we continue their work they, they did. Care for country is it's our cultural obligation. It's our responsibility as, as Gundi Samara to carry on those old traditions for the next generation and the generations after that. Gundi Samara, kids coming through another countless generation. So I think looking after country is who we are. And I think it's in our blood and I feel it's our obligation as Indigenous, as, as Gunditjmara, to, to take care of it, restore it, promote it. I think we not only need reconciliation with each other as a nation of people, but I think we need to reconcile with the land as well because so much wrong has been done since colonisation. So we all work you know, hard to, to care for it. Like a lot of a mob, you'll say, like, you look after country, country will look after you sort of thing, and, like, the mob sort of knew that and goes to, like, Lake Condor and agriculture system, like, their concept they used for what the mob did out there is a, or they call it an eco-cultural landscape where they were able to increase the production of eels, to farm the eels, but 
keep their biodiversity and the changes they made when they cut the channels to divert the hydrology and that. They weren't changes that were irreversible changes, so the mob still had that biodiversity and those different resources to access. They understood that and they had other laws around sustainability, like common sense. If you have a swan's nest with three eggs in it, you obviously don't, you don't take all the eggs. We, we grew up in, around our mob that had cared for country, our generation, so we're lucky to sort of see that and have those opportunities today with um, different programs like Aaron and the boys and uh, the girls as well, doing a range of programs and looking after our, our IPAs, but like our community's always you know, putting their voices behind any restoration works on any parts of the country, and like the reef on the Lake Conda and other wetlands on the, on the stone country, but also we've done, you know, we've helped with works around um, the um, restoring Long Swamp in Discovery Bay, which is a freshwater swamp in the dune system there. Um, which was drained by colonisers and that as well. Canary Country, it's, yeah, it's a responsibility and it's a sort of a way of life as well for our mob. And, uh, sometimes like we've got to be everything, you know, care for country and anthropologists and all these other things, to, to all these other sort of government agencies that want to help with different things, but caring for countries, the key and culture is the key to help repair some of the damage that's been done to country and um, our, our mob as well. Australia's government systems, legal instruments and even the policies and engagement mechanisms of culturally sensitive national parks can sometimes seem like an imposition on a culture that has owned and cared for this country for tens of thousands of years. These institutions and groups are trying to do the right thing for Victorian marine life and they have to work with the people that do most of the caring in a manner that suits them. We found that this really means learning from the expertise that is available and out there while keeping the stories of country alive within the frameworks so that the mechanisms and instruments don't suffocate the life of country. We're ending this episode with a view to the future and it's a view that comes from Nyamit Meering. We hear a lot about species extinction, climate change, ocean acidification and the loss of habitats that means extremely difficult times for the next generation of Earth's inhabitants. Hearing from these Gunditjmara men, we also found confidence in this next generation. They can carry on holding the stories of country and keep building on the land ownership successes that have brought more of Australia into the practices of traditional owner groups that confidently care for country. I think what's most important is the people that are sitting around here. We have got the younger people that have this strong commitment and responsibility looking after country and uh, they do it in a professional but culturally appropriate manner. They are always respectful and I, I know that the, the three younger people sitting around the table here uh, work closely with even younger people to pass on their knowledge and experience and, and I'm sure that we're in capable and safe, safe hands for the future. I have no doubt of that and I think that's the most important, that uh, Gunditjmara people are still exerting their rights and responsibilities to look after country and will continue to do so. What I want to see is for people to look at Budgeroom in the same way they look at the pyramids or Stonehenge or any other big deadly site. They just want heaps of people wanting to know what you know was always there, pretty much. They finally get the recognition 
that we deserve, don't you? I suppose in regards to the future, yeah, I suppose just to keep that cycle going of caring for the country. You know, you look at our history, though, we, only Knuckle Dennis talks about how we only had access to the, the Lake Condomission Cemetery for a while after the Solid Servant Scheme handed, turned all our emission land back into private land. Now we've only had access to the cemetery, which is about a half acre block or so, and now we've got about 3,000 hectares. We keep building on that and keep having opportunities for, for our mob and young people and any any of our mob to keep working on country and use it as a tool for healing and reconciliation. And in regards to sea country, yeah, just to hopefully see it keep being restored and respected as well, I suppose, like there's other users of sea country. But you want to make sure that it's respected, like the sand dune systems and stuff like that, and some of the, the scrub along the coast, and just have more mob out on country, I guess, using it as well. Um, our mob that live off country come home, getting involved, using it and reconnecting with the country, and using it as a tool to strengthen our, our communities back up. Yeah. What I'd like to see in the future is for all Gunditjmara to have opportunity to be here on country and to connect connect in, in whichever way. Yeah. I'd love to see more opportunity to manage, so I want to manage more, more land that we can take care of. In an earlier episode, Tim Allen and Chris Smythe told us quite a lot about the future challenges for Victoria from a land and marine management perspective. Now we learn a whole new series of problems regarding country from the Indigenous perspective after this visit to Gunditjmara country in the southwest of Victoria. Back to our group of Gunditjmara men again, sharing their thoughts on the current problems they face, which range from fire management on stone country, insensitive use of cultural resources and sacred space, little compliance of the law when it comes to heritage protection, the need for Indigenous academics and experts, and more broadly, insensitive and disrespectful heritage interpretations, locally, regionally and nationally in Australia. I was thinking about just now is that um, when you talk about sea country and like its effect on other parts of the country, like our native fish that spawn, like there's other native fish other than the short news that spawn out of the, in the salt water and they need that, that mouth to open naturally. And there's other people, other users in the community that want to open it artificially, it might be farmers because there's water in their paddocks and stuff like that. But the, the CMA, the government agency that are responsible for that, the opening of it, like they seem to be doing a pretty good job and we have a good partnership with those guys to um, hear about what's going on in that sort of area. Just about how you see country, like our, our river mouths and our estuaries, um, you know, they're places where our native fish spawn, not always in the salt, but they spawn in, in the actual estuary. And, they need that natural flood to happen, to put water up on the margins, because that's where they you know, spawn their eggs in, in the grass up on the margins of the estuary. That's sort of important as well, because those waterways always, you know, they run all through our country, different types of country, and provide different resources. So but that was one challenge, I guess, that, and it's the same challenge that the CMA have, and it's the same one we have. That we sort of all want the best outcome for, for the environment, but they've got a, um, other users to think about as well. But. One other challenge we face, and uh, we don't seem to be getting a lot of support uh, via the government agencies in this, is the pippy harvesting that happens down in Discovery Bay. Last year, the Fishing Management Authority extended the range that uh, commercial pippy harvesters could go, but they don't do. What doesn't happen is that the laws of the state being forced. So we have these harvesters riding quad bikes, uh, driving 
small four-wheel drives up and down the beach, quite clearly and consistently breaking the law, destroying habitat for you know, some of the threatened species such as the hooded plover, for example, driving sometimes within the coastal dunes, within those rich cultural middens, again breaking uh, cultural heritage laws. Doesn't seem to be many consequences and we're really sick of the treatment that some of these pippy harvesters do. They thumb their nose at government regulation. We believe that the government should bring them to task and actively enforce the laws or change the laws, one or the other. Uh, but it, it's been a frustrating process for quite a few years and we don't even know the extent or the sustainability of the pippies. Again, they are a traditional resource and uh, I'm sure these young fellas here have been out all pippy harvesting at times with some of their family and elders and whatever else. I knew exactly but uh, it is an ongoing problem, and an ongoing problem not from a cultural heritage point of view only, but from an environmental and also from a legal point of view. And uh, we're a bit powerless to, uh, it seems that we're all a bit powerless to do much about it, and something should be happening. And maybe just to follow on from the previous question about future, and, and maybe a little bit of the challenges as well, is you know, what I'd love to see in the future for us is to have... Gunditch Murray capacity across everything. I mean, we, I think Tyson mentioned it before, you know, sometimes we, as staff, as Gunditch Murray, are expected to know everything, culturally, environmentally. I'd love to see a time when we have our own archaeologists, we have our own anthropologists, we have our own botanists, our own horticulture expertise as well. So maybe a challenge is sometimes we were approached by a lot of different agencies and people, academics, and we're expected to know everything when sometimes I don't. So that, that, that can, I see that as a challenge sometimes. We're pushed and pulled in every direction for information. We're, we're stretched. Of course, our resources are stretched as well. I think that's, that can be challenging as well. So you know, I, I hope for a day where we, we can have our own professionals, our own academics, and manage things, country, on our own. Just one thing about council, they're going to have a celebration of Captain Cook coming here soon, and in the space of sea country, and I think it's, it's a challenge for us as First Nations people. It's like we've been just wiped from history, and some of the things that council do, like they've got another sign at the front in the foreshore in Portland as well, from 1934 centenary celebrations that you know time when our mob were still struggling and like that on, on the mission like that and locked out of the mainstream community and I just think that they don't acknowledge the, the proper truth telling of the history of this country and the shared history as well um, and that's a challenge and you know it speaks to our identity as a community but as, as individuals and that like as First Nations people, Gunnishmara people is ancestors were, were slaughtered when Captain Cook came here, it's, um, it feels disrespectful and yeah, it's not something that, as, as a person who lives in the Glenelg Shire and grew up here and born here and uh, as a Trishlone, it's not something that we enjoy, enjoy seeing, especially if there's not any engagement with our mob about the, the event. They're still sort of struggling to acknowledge the frontier war period and the days of reflection like Anzac Day for our men, women and children that, that died um, during those times as well. So I think that's another challenge of, that we face. There's lots of work to be done to fix extremely difficult and large-scale problems. But as we discovered in this workshop, 
there's no shortage of people willing to put in the hard yards while listening to Nyamit Mirring. We end with Uncle Dennis Rose's words in this positive space of confident land management as part of a continuum of practice and a continuum of life on country. And we pay respect to the Gunditjmara elders, both past and present. And we extend our respect to all traditional owner groups in Victoria. And I think what we're seeing, and I'm probably talking, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years' time, but we'll have a great work crew that won't just all be Gunditjmara, won't be all CMA, won't be all Parks Vic, they'll be... They'll be all in together, but what they will have in common is that they'll be respecting and understanding and working within the Gunditjmara cultural tradition and cultural responsibility. And I think that we will have a, this great work crew. It's, it's, it's already established in some areas. We look at fire, look at some of the weed control projects, some of the animal threatened species that, that, that we do some work with. There'll, there'll, there'll just be this broad work crew that will be committed to looking after an improving country. That was Uncle Dennis Rose, project manager at the Gunditch Mearing Aboriginal Corporation. And this is the Marine National Parks podcast, brought to you by the Victorian National Parks Association with the support of the Victorian Government. Narrated by Madison Griffiths and Bethany Atkinson-Quinton. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the unceded land and waters across the state of Victoria and pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. This podcast series was produced by Jan Hendrik Bruggemeyer and Thomas Bristow. Project management, Caitlin Griffith, and you can find us online at vnpa.org.au.